When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We have to have this debate in Congress about whether we should be in places like Afghanistan. This tells that has changed. We've got to hold them accountable. We'll see how they govern. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. The infrastructure bill will create jobs that we desperately need in this country, good-paying jobs. We need to go all out to a green, renewable economy and all of the infrastructure to make that happen. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And we press on live from Washington, where the political class has already left for the long holiday weekend, already at the beach. But, you know, Bloomberg is still on the job with so much to talk about today, beginning with jobs. Weaker than expected is the headline on the August report. But we will look under the hood coming up with U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh and later with Douglas Holtz-Eakin, former White House economic advisor, now president of the American Action Forum. We'll get his take on this and where we're going. And then there's our Friday Reporters Roundtable. Bloomberg Government's Jack Fitzpatrick will be with us, along with Alex Wayne, who leads our Bloomberg White House team. I guess investors are already on the beach, too. But, hey, it's Labor Day weekend. Well, almost it is. And it seems the labor market left a lot of people wishing for more last month. As we learned this morning, the economy created 235,000 jobs in August, even as economists were looking for something north of 700,000. That's a miss. Well, President Biden tried to put the numbers today in perspective. Well, I know some wanted to see a larger number today, and so did I. What we've seen this year is the continued growth month after month in job creation. It's not just that I've added more jobs than any first-year president, in, any, in the first year of any president. It's that we've added jobs in every single one of my first seven job reports, and wages are going up. Wages are going up indeed. Six-tenths of a percent in August, that is twice as much as forecast. As the labor participation rate stayed right where it was from the month earlier, it didn't budge. Making many wonder if people have given up looking for work, at least some. COVID looms large. And there's a lot to cover in this report. So let's get to it with U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. Mr. Secretary, welcome back to Bloomberg Sound On. Thank you for having me today, and I, wish, I want to wish everyone a happy Labor Day. Yeah, this is a big weekend for you here, and we're, we're trying to make sense of the numbers as we go into Labor Day. Uh, are you disappointed by the drop, or did you see it coming? No, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed. I mean, this is, this is a steady growth uh, that we're seeing here in our economy. You know, over the last three months, 750,000 jobs. Obviously, you know, if you listen to the forecasters, it looks like it was well under, but if you listen to the forecasters last month, we were well over. Uh, I think it, it, it's all of the 
all of the reality of the situation we're living in uh, with uh, an increase in Delta variant. Um, you know, obviously we saw uh, some no growth in the, in the leisure hospitality area, and that kind of led the charge for the last three months. Uh, it just shows we still have work to do as a country uh, in, de- in defeating the coronavirus and, and, and making sure people are safe by getting people vaccinated. Uh, and, and we just want to continue to grow. If this was a normal time, mm-hmm. uh, 235,000 job, 235, job growth would be a great number. Uh, but obviously, we're not living right now in normal times. Well, that's for sure. I just wondered how frustrated you were seeing COVID, you know, back in the headlines and getting the blame again here because this was supposed to be the period of time people were getting ready to go back to work, right? Yeah, it concerns. I mean, obviously, when I see the numbers like in Florida going up the way they are, it concerns me because I know that the pain and devastation that that causes in a community, I know the stress it causes to our hospital system. I know the stress it causes to our restaurants and hospitality and and tourism industry. I mean, I, I saw it firsthand as the mayor. You know, of Boston, and I know that we, we could all be encouraging people to be vaccinated and taking care of their, their health. And unfortunately, the, the mixed messages isn't helping. And I think it's really important that we continue to get people vaccinated. You know, the, the, the best economic recovery we can have in this country is by keeping people safe and alive and allow them the opportunity to, to, to be able to better themselves in it with a job. And I think that we're at the point in, our, in, in this virus that we just need to continue to stay very diligent on that. There are some concerns about the uh, the labor workforce participation rate, uh, Secretary Walsh. Are you worried that some people might be stopping looking for work altogether? No, I think people are, 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 are I think there's two things going on with that participation rate that I would say probably are the biggest drivers. One is is the, the people's just outright fear of their personal health uh, in the in the in the pandemic. And number two, uh, I would say also the second part of that is is a lack of child care or a lack of schools being open. And I think as, as we think about this week coming uh, on, on Monday, the unemployment, extra unemployment benefit will be expired, but also for the last week and then into next week, schools will be reopening. So parents will have places for kids to go. That's why I think it's so important for us to focus on making sure that, that Americans are getting vaccinated. Does that mean we could have a bigger month in September? And I know you're not looking at a crystal ball right now, uh, Secretary. Yeah. Uh, but we've got a concern about the impact of this hurricane, too. That can have a, a multi-month impact on the job market, which appears to be a good swath of the country here. Yeah, there's no question about the hurricane. And the hurricane season is concerning. And global warming, we're worried about that, obviously, with these increased hurricanes and the severity of them. Uh, but, but also, you know, I think that the fact that the pandemic is, has been so unpredictable. I mean, there's really been, when you think about from, from February of 2020 to today, there's been very few consistent months here, uh, whether it's been infection rates, uh, death rates, uh, vaccine rates. So, so we have to get more consistent on getting more people vaccinated. Uh, when we saw in the beginning of President Biden's presidency, when, when, he, when he put out there 100, 100 million vaccine shots in the first 100 days, it was able to do 200 million we saw the direct impact of that; those vaccines working. Where four, roughly four million, four point five million people have gone back to work. It's the largest job growth in the history of any presidency at this point. So I think that we just have to look at what's worked and be consistent. When we, we listen to the CDC guidelines, we see lower infection rates. We just need to continue to follow the science. Leisure and hospitality, the sore spot this month. Uh, it's one of the areas, and also I think that you know it's not going to get a lot of headlines, but I think. Uh, nursing homes and, and personal care attendants for, for, for elderly. I think this is the second month we didn't see any growth in that area as well. And, and that shows the, the need for investments from the Build Back Better agenda, 
which makes investments in, in, in care, the CARES economy, particularly, well, for children as well, but for adult care. We saw average hourly earnings uh, jump again, up six-tenths last month, Secretary. This is good for workers, but are you hearing from employers who are, who are worried about affording this labor crunch? No, I, I haven't heard anything from employers, and I think that uh, I, I don't think that uh, I'm going to be the right person to talk about this. I think getting better wages for workers in America is good. I think companies have the ability to do that. Most companies have the ability to pay more, and I think that we have to continue to respect the worker. Uh, because if you have a good, strong workforce, you're going to have a good, strong company, and, and you're going to be able to make good, strong profits, hopefully. All of this stuff, of course, lends itself to the conversation that you've been having for months, Secretary Walsh, and that is about infrastructure spending. Uh, we've got a couple of different bills here, and I don't need to tell you about that, but I wonder if you're still confident you can fill the number of jobs for construction projects, your old trade, the building trades, in that bipartisan infrastructure uh, bill. That's one. Then this reconciliation, the CARES economy you just talked about, how would that spending get more people back to work? Well, I think, first and foremost, I think with the, with the infrastructure bill and the construction industry, there's a lot of seasonal work that, that's working this summer. As the summer goes down, they'll be able to shift into other construction jobs. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to job training and creating pathways. And in the Build Back Better agenda, uh, there's major investments in job training in that bill, uh, not just for the construction industry, but for for, for other industries, and, and you know, I, I was in I was in Phoenix, Arizona, a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to some CEOs from hospitals, and their concern was nursing shortages in the next ten years in our country. So we have the ability to 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 to, to create programs to encourage people to go into nursing programs. We have a wait list of sixty thousand people to want to get into nursing, and, and there's not enough spots. So we have to think about expanding that. Mental health services. We have a need for mental health counselors in schools across America and in industry across America. So we have the ability to make pathways there. So we really, with, with a major investment in job training and workforce development, we have an opportunity to, to, to train workers in those jobs that otherwise are having a hard time being filled. Secretary Walsh, as we head into this important holiday weekend, what is the state of labor in this country? I mean, I think the state of labor is getting stronger. We have a president that, that believes in, in working people, a president that, that believes in building back better and creating pathways into the future. And the president also that believes that he he wants America to win the future, and the way you win at the future is by is by training and, and and supporting our working people across the country. And I also just want to say, as we're heading into Labor Day, the second Labor Day during the pandemic, I want to thank the essential workers, first responders, hospital teams, nurses, doctors for the work they have done. They have not slowed down since the beginning of this pandemic. They're working under very difficult, dangerous circumstances, and I want to thank them all for their work. I want to thank all workers in America, but in particular. Our, our essential workers, first responders, and hospital personnel for the amazing work they've done, keeping us uh, healthy, safe, well, alive, and fed. They sure have, Secretary. Uh, I mentioned the hurricane before I let you go. Have you had a chance to check in on your basement up in Boston? Yeah, it's dry. It's dry. We've got a lot of rain in the last 10 days, so it's dry right now. So hopefully Excellent. it stays dry. Always great to talk to you. I'd like to call you mayor, but it's Secretary Marty Walsh with us again on Bloomberg Radio. Happy Labor Day, sir. Happy Labor Day, Joe. Thank you. In talking about the economy today, President Biden tried to separate Main Street from Wall Street. There have been so many records the stock market has hit under my presidency. Imagine if the other guy was here. We're doing great. It's wonderful. The stock market is surging. It's gone up higher than me than anybody. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's the best for the economy pointing to his Build Back Better agenda. Think of that as infrastructure reconciliation will include 
higher taxes for the wealthy and for corporations. He made the case for also tax cuts, he says, for the middle class. And boy, what a week. Everyone's obsessed with jobs today. Do you remember where this week started? Afghanistan. The withdrawal. The mess. Followed by Hurricane Ida, another mess. The debate around infrastructure. Joe Manchin weighs in, of course, Texas and the abortion law. And now this jobs report. It's a lot for Joe Biden to think about this weekend and for our panel coming up next. Democrats in the Senate today say they're working through some creative ideas to generate more money to pay for all of this. And we're going to talk about it next with the panel. Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick will be here, along with Bloomberg White House editor Alex Wayne here on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll check the markets. We'll check traffic, too, along the way. So stay here. I'm Joe Matthew. We're just getting started. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Senate Democrats eye taxes on stock buybacks, excess CEO pay. This has been generating a lot of talk, and that's where we begin with our panel on Bloomberg Sound On. We're joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, of course, Bloomberg government reporter and a regular here on Sound On. We're also joined today by Bloomberg White House lead editor, Alex Wayne. It's great to have both of you with us here. Alex, I'll start with you because we don't get to do this very often. The headline here is followed by the top graph that says these are beyond the proposals, the tax proposals that have come from even President Joe Biden. Did the White House know this was about to start? Yeah, I, you know, the, the White House is in is in close contact with with uh, with Democrats on on this um, this three and a half trillion dollar package of spending and tax increases. Um, so I, I, I don't believe this came as a surprise to them. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of suspect that, that Joe Biden is, is, is not too particular about the offsets, about the pay force mm-hmm. for this thing. Uh, he, he certainly wants to raise taxes on some people and on corporations. Um, but pretty much the only red line that he's drawn is, uh, no tax increases for people under $400,000 a year, making under, earning under $400,000 a year. Um, and beyond that, I, I, you know, I sort of, I, I, I get the idea that his, his feeling is, you know, congressional Democrats go knock yourselves out. How about that? So he may not have come up with the idea, but he's fine with it. As long as you get the money somehow, uh, levies on stock buybacks, Jack, carbon emissions, executive compensation, and this goes on. We're even talking about a potential tax on unrealized capital gains. When you've got Joe Biden... Uh, signing off on something like this, and you've got Joe Manchin saying three and a half trillion is too much money. We need to have a strategic pause. Is any of this going anywhere? Yeah, I think you're right to be concerned about how this plays with Senator Manchin rather than the president, because yeah. Biden has talked about you know this is this, he has some flexibility. This is the ha- in the hands of Congress. He's r- done his red line on no tax increases for people making less than four hundred thousand, but he hasn't drawn a bunch of other red lines. Manchin, meanwhile, is the one who has said. Actually, I don't even think we should increase the corporate tax rate to 28 percent. It should right. be more like 25 yeah. percent. These are the kinds of things that maybe would worry him and you you have a problem in the Senate with moderates and maybe even in the House with moderates rather than problems with the president. What's your take on that, Alex? Is we're, we're talking about a lot of different taxes that could be going up 
here. Jack just mentioned the corporate rate uh, from 21%. We're talking on the House side about capital gains increases. We're talking on the Senate side now about coming up with quite a number of new ones, including a different form of the estate tax. Is this going to be some sort of grab bag or buffet of tax hikes, or, or will this narrow itself down to something realistic? It'll, there's, there's going to be a pretty drawn-out negotiation, I think, in the, in, the, in the months ahead, especially with Joe Manchin, as Jack said. Joe Manchin is becoming a real headache for the White House here. Um, if, if they can't get, you know, just looking at it from, um, from 30,000 feet, not having it as, as close a feel for Congress as Jack probably does, um, if they can't get Joe Manchin to, to back a $3.5 trillion budget and, and tax and spending plan, uh, the progressives over in the House aren't going to vote for the one trillion dollar infrastructure bill, right. and and so Biden, you know, there's some risk here that Biden's left with nothing. I think um, so. So I, I think um, I think that Mansion op-ed in the, in the Wall Street Journal probably probably sent a chill down a few spines in the White House. I'm sure that's right. Uh, I know he wrote the op-ed, Jack, but is Kirsten Cinema any different on this? Should we, should we assume they feel the same way? She has said pretty similar things. She has said she doesn't like the $3.5 trillion dollar pause the line. process? Well, she kind of, hasn't said that. She yeah. had, That was a, a bit of a confusing comment by Manchin that he said in person at a, a discussion and then it included in the op-ed. The thing is, they can't really pause this very much. He even voted for the reconciliation instructions <laughs> right. that have a September 15th deadline yeah. to mark this up and send it to the budget committee. So he knows that you can't delay this chronologically very much. You can shrink it, but they don't have many opportunities for a delay. And of course, if he blows this whole thing up uh, intentionally or not, he can't go home and tell everyone in West Virginia that we got you the bipartisan infrastructure deal that I helped to craft. Right. That's why I think at this point the conversation still appears not to be a binary issue of are you going to support this or are you going to tank it? Mm-hmm. It's okay, it's probably not going to be three and a half trillion dollars, but what is the number going to be on this reconciliation bill? It's probably going to shrink because you've heard from Manchin and Cinema saying they don't like that top line. There's going to have to be a conversation about how much they're willing to raise in tax revenue. It could get significantly smaller, but they haven't gotten to the end of the road where it's an up or down vote. And the, the conversation is definitely can still continue about the size that those moderates would actually be willing to support. At what point does the president care enough to get into details here, Alex, or is that just not going to happen? Bring me a certain dollar amount and figure it out on your own, or will he actually start to to parse through these ideas and, and endorse some of them? So the, the, the White House does not read out to us all of his calls with members of Congress, but uh, it seems that he is on the phone quite often with, mm-hmm. with folks, including Joe Manchin, um, to try to work these things out, um, you know, he, he he likes to chide the press sometimes. He 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 tells us, "You all didn't think that I'd get the the, the one trillion dollar the bipartisan infrastructure right. deal done, and I did." So it, it, he you know he 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 believes he knows better than we do what's going on in Congress. Um, so I, I would expect that he's he's been on the phone some this week with uh, with some key members uh, on the Capitol to try to yep. try to smooth things over. Alex Wayne and Jack Fitzpatrick will stay with us. We'll bring back the pan a little bit later on this hour, and we'll let you know what the president said about this whole tax framework today as we start to blue sky on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. Stay with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. And we carry on on a Friday with taxes on the brain today as we read Senate Democrats are eyeing taxes on stock buybacks, excess CEO pay, even unrealized capital gains, as we just discussed with the panel. And we'll bring this up in a moment with Douglas Holtz-Eakin of the American Action Forum Network, former CBO director, former chief economist of President H.W. Bush's Council of Economic Advisors. He's coming straight up. We thought we had heard it all with some of these tax ideas today. Unrealized capital gains, excess CEO pay. This is really just blue sky time now we're just really starting the debate and it's only on the senate side the house ways and means committee has its own ideas but this is the talk right now as you just heard with our panel and we get to talk about it again with douglas holtz and that's at least where we begin president of the american action forum former cbo director used to advise president george hw bush it's great to have you back douglas i wonder where your head is on this whole idea as we head for some very legitimate debate over paying for infrastructure, for reconciliation. Are we going to have any of these become reality? Well, that remains to be seen, but I think there's a whole lot of bad tax policy in discussion right now. Um, you know, there's this notion that somehow you can pick some people, someone with a big uh, IRA or someone with large unrealized capital gains, and, and tax them and, and presumably punish them for whatever behavior they've, they've done. But you don't isolate people in the economy, right? That's the source of risk capital. And if the risk capital gets misallocated or dries up, it hurts productivity, hurts wages, and it hurts the middle class, the people who ostensibly are supposed to be the target of these policies. So uh, it would be a good idea for everyone to step back, take a deep breath, and, and decide what's an efficient way to raise taxes, what's going to, in the long run, be uh, beneficial to the workers and, and the growth in their wages. And a lot of these ideas really just are not something that should be on the table. I think that's what Joe Manchin said, too. Step back, take a break, take a look. But the clock's ticking here, of course, and, and well, we need to pay for something, obviously, if it's going to be two and a half or three and a half trillion dollars. I just wonder if part of the problem is we're doing this backwards. We're starting with a number and then we're trying to backfill uh, and, and then invent kind of what's going in it instead of the other way around, determining how much money we have and what it should be spent on. Well, I think that's right. The, the starting point should always be the spending. Washington loves to talk about taxes. They always talk about tax policy. But once you decide to spend the money, you have uh, got to pay for it one way or another. So the starting with the spending is a mistake. Starting with a number and not a policy is a mistake. And on the spending side, there's some pretty uh, questionable um, notions out there right now as well. I mean, if you look at today's jobs report, what jumps out to me at least is that this is once again about the coronavirus. We saw 
Leisure and hospitality go from hiring 400,000 people last month to none this month. That's the real hole in this report. Outside of that, it's actually pretty good. So what's the, the policy implication? Well, deal with the coronavirus, not spend a whole lot of money uh, to try to stimulate the economy. And when you look at that reporting, once again, the problem is labor force participation. We have supply problems. Mm-hmm. And the things on, on the table, let's send everybody a check every month for their kids. They can spend it on whatever they want. Let's provide... Um, free health care benefits, let's do a whole bunch of social welfare spending, that's not going to bring people into the labor force. And so this isn't addressing the problems the economy actually has. The advocacy campaign arm of, of your group, the American Action Network, is part of the lobbying effort against a, an increase in the corporate tax rate, capital gains taxes. President Biden talked about this lobbying effort today. You know, this has worked in the past with significant lobbying efforts. But I don't think it's going to work with me. For those big corporations that don't want things to change, my message is this. It's time for working families, the folks who built this country, to have their taxes cut. Your point, Douglas Holtz-Eakin, is that if you hike taxes on companies, they lower production, workers end up with less. Is that right? It's a concern. Uh, I mean, let's uh, let's think about what happened uh, in the years leading up to the 2017 tax law. We lost uh, about 10 headquarters every year, and we had huge amounts of fighting about uh, Benedict Arnold firms and and the loss of jobs in the U.S. because they were headquartering overseas. And we haven't lost a single headquarters since the corporate rate got in line with the rest of the world. To turn around and jack it back up just doesn't make sense. We'll start losing those companies again. The executives don't get hurt. It's the workers who end up getting hurt. And, and so if you want to raise more money, you can make that case. But how you raise it matters. And picking the most damaging way to raise tax revenue is the mistake here. Well, the American Action Network is part of a pretty broad swath of Chamber of Commerce Business Roundtable. We spoke earlier this week, Douglas, with the lobbying arm of the National Association of Manufacturers, all planning to spend on TV ads, online ads, old good old-fashioned lobbying is Joe Biden wrong that it won't work this time? I, I don't know if he's right or wrong on the politics. I, I can tell you about the policy. And uh, when he was elected president, I would end up on shows like yours and, and others with some of my colleagues from the other side of the aisle. And I would say, can't we all agree that all these tax increases are going to damage the economy? They said, oh, no, no, don't worry. We're going to spend it on stuff that is so good, it'll outweigh those impacts. So I commissioned a study, arm's length, someone else did it. I didn't do it that did a, a study just like the CBO or the Joint Command Taxation would do of the combined raise the taxes, spend the money uh, policy, and the net result was it hurt the economy. So these are policies that will not do what they're advertised to do. They will not make things better for the average American. So let's not do them. Let's do things that actually will. How much is your group spending on this? Oh, I, I'm not involved in that part, but the network side, I, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, the stuff I do is just do the policy analysis. And, um, you know, as you well know, uh, policy doesn't always win in policy versus politics. But well, that's I right. believe that the, we, ought to, we ought to at least know what we're getting into. With regard to the weaker than expected jobs report today, how does that inform your decision on taxes? Uh, it, it doesn't change mine very much, to be honest. Um, this isn't really about the economic policy. Uh, this is about the coronavirus. We've seen this pattern now. With the big um, hit last uh, last second quarter in 2020, we saw it again late in 2020, late uh, fall, early winter. 
Uh, we've seen it again with regional outbreaks. So we see these cases rise, and the most exposed sector is leisure and hospitality and personal services, and and people sort of try to, try to avoid that, and, and we get uh, weakness there. But it didn't happen all through the economy. I mean, we saw overall payrolls rise at a 9.4% annual rate. That's people, hours, and wages. That's a lot of demand for labor. That's a very healthy Indeed. private sector. Douglas Holtzik, and I always wish I had more time with the American Action Forum president, former director of the CBO, longtime economic advisor at the White House, and back in the old John McCain campaign as well. We'll bring the panel back next. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us. The Friday edition of Bloomberg Sound On as we round the bend here on the fastest hour in politics with our panel. Jack is back. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government reporter who lives and breathes Capitol Hill, along with Bloomberg News White House lead editor Alex Wayne. I don't need to tell you where he is covering things. As we continue the conversation about taxes and spending and, and exactly what is about to happen next, Jack, why don't you start off this time when you come back from the long holiday weekend? I hope you do have a long one. What's the next stop on the road? I know September 15th is a major uh, deadline here, as you already pointed out, for committees to get their work done. What happens between now and then? They hold markups, uh, and it is probably a sign of how fast they're moving that we still don't have a schedule for next week's markups, other than they have already started the real small parts. Not to get into the weeds, but you know this is dispersed among uh, a dozen or so committees in the House and Senate. The Oversight Committee had a little tiny portion on um, GSA, on government vehicles going electric. They just marked that up yesterday. Natural Resources continues a markup next week. There will probably be a bunch more next week, but this is moving so fast that they're probably going to schedule them last minute. So they got to keep yep. working on all the details, send it to the budget committee by the 15th, which is the Wednesday after next, yeah. and then uh, they can try to take it to the floor. You know, we've been talking uh, about this for so long, Alex. It's kind of amazing we're actually here. I spoke earlier this week with the chairman of the House Rules Committee, uh, Congressman Jim McGovern, who still was expressing at least confidence. He said, we have to get it done. Uh, with regard to the reconciliation bill, which, of course, Nancy Pelosi promised would be done by the 27th right of September, or, or at least we'd get it done so we could vote on the bipartisan infrastructure deal by the 27th of September. Is this timeline about to go up in smoke? I think it's probably reasonable for the House, which um, has, you know, the, the, the House has kind of run like a almost like a little, uh, a little autocracy there with the Speaker of the House able to sort of schedule votes whenever she wants. So I think she'll be able to move things along a little faster than the Senate. The Senate is where all this is going to bog down, I think, um, particularly after Joe Manchin's op-ed the other day that we already talked about. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if the House hits that September 27th deadline or comes close to it. Um, uh, but then we'll see what happens after that. Is that enough to make the progressives happy, Jack, if that happens? Uh, maybe, maybe. It depends how much gets cut off of this. It's, it's a little hard to figure out uh, how much the Senate is going to follow the House's lead. Mm -hmm. The House is, is sort of working on this ahead of the Senate in this round of, of negotiations. But I, I still think the key issue is 
just instead of a binary decision between blowing it all up or getting everything, the question is how much do the moderates actually want? That's the conversation that has to happen because it could be a number that progressives are happy with. If you want to take a trillion dollars off of it, that may not be a deal breaker. Uh, But the schedule schedule is challenging, but that's not the X factor. The X factor is really, okay, Senator Manchin, what's your top line? And same to Senator Sinema. So again, Alex, Joe Manchin's the most powerful man in Washington right now, is he? Sometimes it seems like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine the, the, the White House would uh, – probably some people in the White House might, might agree with you once in a while. Um, you know, I, Jack is right that they're going to have to claw a number out of Manchin, but, but then they're going to have to take that number back to the progressives in the House. I, you know, I was, I was kind of taken aback at how, how harsh uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was yesterday regarding yeah. Joe Manchin. They can only lose. They can only lose what four votes in the House. It's incredibly narrow. Only three. There. It's more narrow than three. Yep. And, and so if you know if, if the squad decides they don't like Manchin's number, um, that, that that could blow up the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and then and then the whole the whole thing kind of collapses. You know, so I, I I still like you know it's it's pretty it's <laughs> frankly it's gotten more interesting to cover I think as as this <laughs> as this uh, package of legislation hits some stumbling blocks. Um, it's um, it's it's pretty fascinating that the dynamic that's going on. I can just see Joe Biden smirking uh, at hearing you say that, Alex. But uh, <laughs> what's the view at yeah, the White House now? Is this all just noise, or is this thing really teetering on the edge? No, I you know I uh, the, the, Joe Biden is uh, keeps expressing confidence. He you know he 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 kind of he took the bad jobs report this morning as a as a reason to again tout his economic proposals. He said. Yep. What he's done so far is already working, and they need to do more of it. They need to listen, like listen to Joe Biden and pass what he wants to do, and in, in order to get the the economy really cooking. Um, so he, you know, he, I think he, they saw the jobs report as, as an opportunity a little bit this morning, not not strictly a disappointment. And um, and I and, and and they're probably hoping that the that the you know the, the kind of backslide in the economy here we saw in August uh, will will actually sort of ironically add some momentum to the push for Joe Biden's economic proposals. President talked about some of the ideas that we've been hashing out this hour when it comes to raising taxes. Right now, the House and Senate are working on my plan to generate a fair tax system and close loopholes that big corporations and super wealthy use to pay less. To give you one example, there's a group of experts left, right, and center who estimate that right now we lose more than one Hundred billion dollars a year in tax revenue owed from the top one percent of taxpayers alone. Not because of low tax rates, but because the wealthy people aren't paying the taxes they owe. Now that's one we haven't heard in a little bit. Is there a chance, Jack, that we get back to IRS enforcement? Didn't they knock that out of the first plan? Uh, yeah, that was an issue with the first plan because there started to be pushback from Republicans. Um, that is probably going to end up being part of the the conversation for this reconciliation bill because Democrats are still happy with that idea. Mm-hmm. The CBO, though, gave a score uh, that I am trying to remember the specific number on. It was lower than what Biden expected. Yeah. If you uh, give $80 billion extra, uh, the, the number that the CBO just came out with was not quite what uh, the Biden administration was hoping for. So as it pertains to actually being a pay-for, it might 
might not be as satisfying to them through the rules of Congress as as much as a, a talking point. Is that something that the White House wants to pursue here, Alex? It was awfully controversial when it was being debated a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, since since Joe Biden talked about it this morning, I, I would gather he he's looking to to still do something on enforcement. But but Jack's right that the that it just it just doesn't produce as much money as as Democrats would hope. There there are all sorts of these like magical pay fors around around floating around Washington these days. You know things that things that lawmakers think basically can produce revenue without really hurting anybody. Jack's pulling out the number in real time here. What do you? Yeah, have? reading a CBO report on my phone. <laughs> I love. You spend this. eighty billion dollars over ten years, you get another two hundred billion in additional revenue. So that's only one hundred twenty billion yeah. that you gain. If you want a three and a half trillion dollar bill oh or something God. massive, you really have to get into more serious stuff like the corporate tax rate. Well, okay, yeah, and, and that's not going to happen easily, Alex. No, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I think I think Democrats are all on board on raising the corporate tax rate somewhat to, mm-hmm. to some number above twenty one percent. I mean, no Democrats supported Trump's tax cuts, and so they're they're all they're all on board with, with erasing some of the, the the Donald Trump tax cuts. So so the corporate tax rate will, will get raised to something, but um, you know that that's just a matter. Of, that's a pretty I think probably a pretty easy negotiation with Joe Manchin mm-hmm. if he wants twenty five percent, then just stick it at twenty five percent and move on to something else. It is interesting how the news that you can't plan for, the White House couldn't plan for, can often help the argument. You pointed out, Alex, weaker-than-expected jobs report. Well, you turn that into uh, a need for infrastructure spending and, and, and maybe trump some of the earlier months. But this is, you know, this is why we need a middle-class tax cut. Hurricane Ida lands. This is why we need yep. Jack money for climate change, for instance. He's in Louisiana making that case today. Yeah, that's going to be a case that the, the Democrats make for the climate provisions of the reconciliation bill. It's interesting that that also plays into the push for hard infrastructure spending, although obviously they've already managed to pass that bill through the Senate. Yeah. Uh, that that ties into a lot of what Democrats want to do, but also it, it challenges things because at some point they're probably going to have to pass a separate bill and carve out time on the congressional calendar just to actually pay for uh, some of the damage I- incurred from the hurricane. So it, it may be a good rhetorical advice, but it also kind of makes things more difficult for them getting things done. Boy, isn't that a riot? Well, I'll tell you. You guys ever heard of the Waffle House Index as we're talking about Ida? I understand that the yeah. federal government actually uses Are you a Waffle House guy, Alex? I love Waffle House. And I, I knew you I were have heard of the that. index. I love this. Yes. I know. I, I'm, I'm from the South. I, 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 uh, this is great place to go after a long night of drinking in college see a guy Um, like me from the northeast this is exotic this is exotic cooking you get your hands on those hash browns delicious i remember i remember i've heard about the index i forget what i forget what it is so remind me well it's based on the number of waffle houses that are open or closed because well i mean as jack will tell you waffle houses never close so it takes a big something to shut them down. And in the case of major storms, or in the case of COVID even, we follow the Waffle House Index based on how many stores are able to open their doors and, you know, cook coffee for everybody. Because, you know, Jack, they, they never close. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if the street lights are on, the Waffle House is probably open. Uh, it, by the way, as a northerner who then moved to Kentucky, yes. my greatest revelation of moving to the south was how much people love Waffle House. It's a it's lifestyle. It's a cultural institution. Absolutely. And it kind of explains why, yeah, there are certain businesses that you can look at, and if they're, uh, if they're open consistently enough, that shows you the extent of the damage, and Waffle House is kind of the gold standard. Invented 
presented by uh, former FEMA director Craig Fugate, who was on with us earlier today on Balance of Power. I have been brought in on this very important. Now, you know, we're all about indexes here at Bloomberg. Um, I'll take a couple scrambled bacon. Got to get the hash browns, right? Waffle House hash browns. Don't mess with it. Alex Wayne, thanks for putting up with me. And Jack, you're stuck with me. This is Bloomberg Sound On. Have a long weekend. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.